If you're a farmer in New York State, join the New York State Grown and Certified program to let people know your food is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Good afternoon, and welcome back to the first Eating Matters episode of the 2017 winter season, where we will be talking about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting live from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. If you've been a longtime listener of Eating Matters, you will know that we were very excited to leave 2016 behind us and that we have big hopes for 2017. In light of this new year, we wanted to start the season off on, dare I say, an optimistic foot. So today we will be speaking with Renska Lind, co-founder and managing director of Food System 6 Accelerator, a San Francisco Bay Area nonprofit that connects food system entrepreneurs with business acumen and capital. Renska has been working in the food system in the nonprofit sector on food agriculture and nutrition policy issues for nearly 20 years. Her work has included grassroots education and community organizing, strategic campaign development, quantitative policy analysis, and legislative advocacy. We will be digging into Renska's work over the years to improve the food system and the different angles and approaches she, is to take, she has uh, taken, including with her newest venture, Food System 6 Accelerator. If you're someone who wants to work on food issues but are not sure of the kinds of roles you can play, or if you're a budding food entrepreneur in need of inspiration to take your idea to the next level, this episode is for you. All of that is to say, Renska, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jenna. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year to you, too. Let's just dig right, dive right in here. Um, Renska, these uh, food policy and system issues are getting more attention now than they ever have been, but you have been ahead of the curve and, and working in this field for some time. Um, what motivated you to want to start working in this space 20 years ago? Great. Thanks, Jenna. I appreciate that question, and, and I'll certainly echo your uh, your sentiment that these important issues are finally getting the attention yes. that I think they, they've deserved for many, many years now. Um, so I began my work in the food system in the Midwest. I started working for a nonprofit called the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had relocated to the Midwest after being a Peace Corps volunteer, spending a fair amount of time in sub-Saharan Africa understanding some of the challenges there in terms of health and nutrition and felt as if um, I wanted to be able to continue the work that I'd been doing there um, but trying to have a bigger impact and so I was really interested in some of the bigger picture policy issues that surround food production and agriculture and health. Mm-hmm. And so I worked at uh, the organization in the Midwest, which um, helped understand and shed light on um, the international trade policy agreements that influence the production of food and agriculture and 
uh, the ability for small-scale, sustainable farmers to succeed in a global marketplace. So that's how I started my work. And what originally caused you? Had you always just been interested in um, food security issues and, you know, agricultural sustainability issues? Or is this something that you discovered through your work in the Peace Corps? That's a great question. I mean, I definitely experienced for myself firsthand some of the challenges in terms of food access and and healthy nutrition uh, as a uh, a child of a single parent. Uh, my father passed away when I was five years old, and so we definitely had to rely on multiple forms of assistance, both you know, philanthropic and charity, as well as government support. So, definitely, my early experiences, you know, as as a child, um, I would say certainly informed and influenced the direction that I ultimately took with my career. Um, mm-hmm. I was a political science major, so you know, I think yeah, absolutely, that would definitely be something that you know, early on, it was. Uh, just my own experience has definitely influenced how I thought about the world as it relates to food and agriculture and you know, definitely found my, my way to a very fulfilling career in terms of trying to understand you know, how I might be able to have a bigger impact on the system or how I might be able to move the needle. Um, okay, so you th- so then um, you were in um, Minnesota and um, mm-hmm. And can you tell us how you kind of um, made the jump from that role, like what you were doing there specifically, and then sure. you know, kind of how your career progressed? I think it's really, um, you know, interesting to hear about also, especially sure. if you're somebody who kind of wants to learn about the different ways and roles you can kind of plug into um, doing in, in the food world. Oh, I'm, I'm happy, Shailen. I'm, I'm also thrilled that I've had the opportunity throughout my career to work in a variety of different ways. and leveraging different sectors and so you know think and particularly now as you know we said at the beginning these issues are getting more and more attention there's even more opportunity so mm-hmm. um so it's, it's an exciting time and I'm, I'm happy to share my own journey and hope that that um, has some has some uh, ability to help uh, help others out there so um the work i did in minnesota as i mentioned was largely focused on the international trade policies that affect production and distribution of food and, you know, back when I began this work in the early 1990s, it was really a, a very early recognition of some of the impacts and the externalities of a, of a global economy, not just the food system. But, of course, that's the area that I spent most of my time working on. Um, and, you know, the, the opportunity that I had there was particularly unique in terms of how that organization as an, as an NGO in the nonprofit sector functions. Um, in that we were both advocating for, you know, uh, incredibly important tweaks and improvements and changes to actual trade policy rules, but we were also doing a lot of consumer education and awareness building um, around just, you know, the, the importance of thinking differently about, you know, how food is being, being produced and distributed. Um, you know, I definitely say from a, sort of a learning perspective, that was, you know, a really important influencing moment for me in terms of understanding the 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 importance of thinking about uh, moving towards change in a mm-hmm. variety of different ways. So, you know, and that, that each of the sectors has, you know, an important um, role to play in terms of influence. And I think there's a, a lot of power in coordinated action. So um, that, that was um, incredibly uh, important work uh, and very fulfilling and very um, enlightening for me. Um, after working on the international level, I was really interested in um, digging into what was 
required on the local and regional level. So, you know, this that's, I transitioned my work at that point um, to helping build a local and regional food shed in the Philadelphia marketplace, but more broadly into the mid-Atlantic region, um, you know, with the, it just working directly with farmers, helping them establish connections to consumers. Um, and, you know, again, this was also at the at the early days of just the, the, the what is now, I think, fairly commonplace recognition that there, there really needs to be an emphasis on local and regional production. Mm-hmm. Um, that certainly doesn't solve for all of the issues in our food system and all of the challenges, but that it is a really critical component. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just I think for me that reinforced the the role that the the small local regional can really play and provide in um, in addressing some of the major issues in our system. Absolutely. Um, so that uh, that work, you know, also um, just the, the for me it was a, a really critical transition to make from you know working globally and working with farmers and, and farm groups across the world in India and South America and Brazil and Western Europe and you know the recognition that the you know that sometimes that can feel pretty overwhelming global trade policy you know we definitely made some significant um, advances in terms of improving the structures, but it, it also, I think it, it was incredibly important for me to really dig in and get to understand the particular geography, a particular landscape, and, you know, really get to the people that were, you know, stewarding the land um, in the area that I was that I was working in and, you know, really making sure that they were able to tap and access, you know, different forms of markets and different connections. And I think that community piece was, was really important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, at that point, um, decided I was really, you know, loving the work that I was doing and definitely firmly connected to food and agriculture and wanted to spend a little more time understanding some of the quantitative and the more technical aspects of policy. So I went and got a master's in public policy. Um, here in Berkeley, and uh, at that point, I transitioned my work to more of the access and justice um, side. So I, you know, had had this great opportunity to work internationally, and then I was really digging in locally. And for me, one of the you know key pieces, and this continues to be a huge motivating factor um, for me, is just expanding access to healthy foods for more people. So mm-hmm. um, I spent a few years working on primarily food stamp and full meal policy. Um, and, you know, definitely uh, got to you know, dig into then some major national issues and understanding how those played out on the state and local level. Um, and that was also a, a first exposure for me in terms of innovation and entrepreneurship as an alternate path for achieving impact. And that was through um, the work that we did with the San Francisco Unified School District. Um, to improve the quality of the food that was being served to um, our food bank clients. Mm-hmm. And the way we did that was by granting a contract to Revolution Foods, um, also in, in their early days as a company. Um, so, and and, you know, I, and Revolution, yeah. so I'll just to kind of like recap. So you have had your experience in the international, national, regional, and local levels. So I feel like you got it all covered. <laughs> in terms of <laughs> the different exactly. levels and and have been able to to um, demonstrate that there are many different kinds of paths that you can um, take in in the food world uh, in general and then it sounds yeah. like um, you also had a kind of realization of the 
power of the private sector through a, so your experience with Revolution Foods, which I want to get into in a minute, yeah. um, in addition to like yeah. the nonprofit and um, public sector. Absolutely. That's, that's a great recap. Um, and, and I would definitely say that, you know, for me, um, and this sort of represents the next transition point and builds towards what I'm now working on with Food System 6, um, you know, I've spent a, a lot of the time that I've been working within the nonprofit sector really um, advocating um, a fairly aggressive change and reform agenda, you know, in some instances within the private sector. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this, this opportunity to see that the resources and the distribution and infrastructure and capital of the private sector, the fact that there was an opportunity to really leverage all of that to support some of the change that I've been working so hard for at that point for almost 15 years, um, really was it was definitely an eye-opening experience for me, and I think it also changed a little bit of the way that I thought about change. And you know, so right. to your point, I mean, having you know, having spent a lot of time interacting in the public and in the nonprofit sectors, this was you know a, a, an early moment for me in terms of the recognition of what the private sector could do. Right, and I think that I mean my own my own opinion at least is that the advocacy community has been a little bit reticent to kind of recognize the ability of the private sector to make meaningful change in this area because maybe they have another agenda or, you know, uh, in addition to kind of advancing the work. But um, sure. it seems yeah. to be something that we need to, we as a collective, those people who are interested in improving the food system need to be able to harness more. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think for me that the power and the potential that working with innovators and entrepreneurs represents is, you know, they really, they sort of exist outside of all of that. Right. Um, and, you know, we can get into, you know, I think it'd be interesting to talk about some of the ways in which they, they challenge the existing system and fully disrupt it, but also are required to work within it. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that we are choosing to focus on sort of the next generation really does provide an opportunity for just change in a different way. So it's less yeah. about, you know, trying to change an existing system as much as it is. Okay, we actually have an opportunity to do things differently and what does that mean and what does that look like? Yeah. And, you know, working with these impact focused entrepreneurs gives us a chance to, to do that and to, you know, really really rally around them um, in a in a in a kind of new and, and exciting way. So what is food system the Food System 6 um, Accelerator's mission, and how did you kind of come to start it? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, so our, our overall mission is to surface and support impact-focused entrepreneurs that are transforming the way we grow and produce food globally. Mm -hmm. and, and the idea for FSX came about in a variety of different tabs really coming together in um, early 2014, when uh, the governor's office of California called a meeting at a venture capitalist office that brought together a wide range of stakeholders with an interest in the food system from a health standpoint, from a production standpoint, across foundations, entrepreneurs, businesses, investors. And you know, the idea really was how can we think about supporting innovation in a way that takes some of the best practices of how Silicon Valley supports entrepreneurs and thinks about what that means and, and actually build something um, to support entrepreneurs that are trying to affect the food system. 
and the this was um, you know the idea for an accelerator came from our one of our co-founders Paul Matucci, who's a venture capitalist here in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. um, who felt very strongly very early on. So in 2009, actually, he founded a nonprofit to help provide support to food system entrepreneurs. Um, he really felt that there wasn't as much of an ecosystem of support around these entrepreneurs as there was for those in IT and tech and data systems, um, the world in which he had operated. So mm-hmm. um, the idea really was, you know, is there an opportunity to, and, you know, I think we are at the point at which we are proving out, but there is indeed an opportunity to leverage um, some of the best of how Silicon Valley works and operates and some of the best ideas in venture capital and investing um, with, you know, making a significant impact and keeping that, you know, keeping that really front and center. Um, so that's, that's a little bit of our, our history, history and, and our mission. And what is, what is um, for our listeners who might not know, um, can you just give us an overview of, like, what an accelerator is and how it is different from um, an incubator, for example? Sure. And, and I will say that the, I will give you our, um, our perspective around that, mm-hmm. but there's, it, it isn't necessarily, the accelerator and incubator industry are still um, evolving themselves. And so there's a little bit of difference in semantics, but I can tell you how we think about it. And um, so we think about an incubator as um, a very um, place-based, very specific um, physical structure that typically tends to house startups. Um, and more often than not, there is an actual hardware component to the work that they're doing. So if you know you're actually building something where you need resources and you need kind of technical assistance and materials, um, that's how we think about an incubator. And the way we think about an accelerator is that more it can be place based. It's a work you can have an office shared office space, um, but it really is more about helping accelerate progress, um, and that can take many different forms, and you know, we'll, we'll get a little bit into you know, how, how we do that work and what we think about um, an accelerator in this space can look like mm-hmm. and should look like. Um, so that's how we tend to define it. And hopefully okay. that helps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, what is um, what is this process like? Can you kind of walk us through for entrepreneurs? Like, do they start with an idea that you help them shape into a project, or um, do you kind of start working with a young startup that is already maybe a little bit further down the road? Yeah, that's 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 a great question. And given that we're in the work with our first cohort, I can certainly describe how it works right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll we'll definitely indicate that it's, it's certainly possible that things will will change over time and, and iterate as we grow and as our experience of of what early stage entrepreneurs and impact focused food system entrepreneurs really need. Um, but we did spend a fair amount of time connecting with over around 500 entrepreneurs in the space um, wow. in the course of our content development to really understand how we could best lend value and, you know, where where those entrepreneurs really felt like there were gaps um, in their ability to scale their work. So um, startups do come to us. We do have an application process. Um, in some cases, we come across some teams that we think are incredible and really promising and, and you know, go out to them. Uh, we also have an extensive network of partners in the entire food industry and in the ecosystem that cuts across major nonprofits, 
um, foundations, investors, right? We've definitely spent a lot of time cultivating our network so that we have an ability to go to that, to go to partners, um, for example, in food waste or in soil health or in sustainable protein and say, you know, what's out there? What are you seeing? What are sort of the key priorities that are emerging within your specific um, segment of the food system? Mm-hmm. Um, and so use that as a recruitment tool to understand what the landscape looks like and where the, you know, where we see the best opportunity. Um, so we, we tend to work with um, early stage teams that are pre-institutional capital. So they may have raised a seed round or in the process of closing their seed rounds. Um, but they haven't taken any larger forms of, of capital, so they haven't done a Series A or a later stage. Okay. Um, that was where we felt the impact focus of our work and the technical assistance and business acumen skills that we provide was was most needed. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely interact with a lot of other um, efforts out there that look like what we are doing. Um, we there's a if this is a, an absolutely massive global industry um, yeah. and an equally massive set of challenges and impact potential that we're, that we're seeking to have. So we've definitely cultivated a lot of relationships with others out there that are supporting um, different types of entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that are at different stages. Um, so there's definitely something like, I would call it an innovation and entrepreneurship pipeline um, that is being developed that really spans, you know, the whole range of opportunity from uh, something like a hackathon. So we've done, we've partnered on um, a hackathon around um, childhood obesity, and that is really like the ideation stage of you know what is possible. Um, and then there's a series of next steps that those ideas need to go through. Um, and so you know we are not quite at that point, but it's also important for us to understand where where ideas are and really keep an open mind in terms of where and how innovators and entrepreneurs are thinking about some of the big issues that, that we're working on. Um, okay, so with your, your current cohort currently underway, how do you, like, what is the selection process like um, for the, the entrepreneurs that you allow into the program? Or is there, like, a yeah. criteria that you um, use or kind of guidelines that you uh, employ? Yes, absolutely. So um, we definitely start by examining the key questions that we believe are going to define what we call food system six, and we'll probably get into the meaning behind our name in a little bit. Yeah, but, yes. Um, <laughs> we, we want to know if this innovation will address um, one of the key challenges of meeting the growing demand for healthy food for a growing population. Um, will it protect and enhance our planet's ability to continue to grow and produce food sustainably or regeneratively? Is it, does it fall into you know, the category of actually improving a specific practice? Um, and we're absolutely focused on health as well. And so those are some of the key big picture questions that we ask when we sit down and look at an application. Um, you know, and, and then we go from there to understand what the potential for transformative impact is throughout the supply chain. So that definitely helps us hone in on the types of business models or innovations that we work with mm-hmm. um, and you know, can say a little bit more about that as well. Um, we also spent a fair amount of time digging into where we felt we saw the greatest potential at the intersection of impact, 
innovation and investment potential, um, and sort of we surfaced um, some key categories that we were really interested in making sure that we um, addressed in in our cohort, such as and, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm happy to dive into some of the details there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of that includes, you know, our benign substitutes for harmful inputs in the system, um, protein alternatives, you know, both for humans and for animal feed, um, waste mitigation in the supply chain, clearly a really critical area for us, um, soil health, um, improvements that could enhance the transparency um, throughout the supply chain. Um, and then certainly availability and accessibility to healthy food choices for more people um, for some of the key areas that we were thinking about before our first cohort. Okay. Another really important so wide, part wide ranging, <laughs> very <laughs> ambitious. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not yes, just your exactly. not just your typical and, delivery yeah. <laughs> meal system delivery. Definitely. <laughs> yes, yeah, that a big challenge out for ourselves, um, and and you know think that. Most, if not all, of the categories that we were really interested in tackling are represented in our in our current cohort, and um, which is which is really exciting to watch that all come to life. And um, I I'd also say we definitely spent some time thinking about building a cohort and continuing to build a cohort that becomes a portfolio for us of investment opportunities and impact opportunities that really span different forms of change. Um, so we really wanted to reflect a very healthy diversity of different forms of business models um, and different types of entrepreneurship that could, you know, in any number of ways really impact the system. So I'm, I'm happy to say a little bit more about that. Yeah, I definitely, I want to, um, we're going to have to take a really quick commercial break, but I want to get into kind of some of the examples um, of Great. how you are diversifying um, your, your projects and um, that, that you guys take on. But before we go to break, uh, I should have asked you this at the top or earlier, but where did you get the name Food System 6? I have a feeling yeah. that is um, very representative of the work that you do. <laughs> uh, so that's a great question. Um, so uh, the, the name Food System 6 is, um, it represents the vision of the food system that we hold for humanity's next system. Um, so, and just to backtrack in time, um, we as humans have developed five different forms of producing food, gathering food, et cetera, dating back to what we call food systems uh, 1.0, which was hunting, gathering, fishing, foraging. Um, and then we have transitioned through a variety of other means by which we are feeding ourselves and sustaining ourselves. Um, and we are currently at what we see the, as the transition point and the tipping point between food system five, which is the industrialized food system, mm-hmm. um, and which is optimized for a very specific set of characteristics like shelf life and logistics and convenience, uh, and that we are moving towards in a lot of this, you know, what we talked about earlier in terms of the rate um, explosion of different types of of new foods and different foods um, and different production methods um, is all what will be represented in in the sixth version of our food system. So um, optimized for a very different set of criteria around sustainability and health. Okay. All right. Great. Okay. So we're going to um, take a really quick commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors. But when we get back, we'll be um, learning a little bit more about some of the current projects underway. And we'll also be diving into um, how the investment community is grappling with some of the unique challenges faced by the food system. Stay tuned. 
New York State cares about New York's farmers. That's why we've developed the New York State Grown and Certified Program. It's a seal New Yorkers can look for when they're shopping for food that comes from local farms. Customers are more likely to buy food that has the New York State Grown and Certified seal because it tells them that it comes from a farm that follows environmentally responsible, farm-safe protocols. In other words, the New York State Grown and Certified seal tells them their food is grown right, right here in New York State. You're a farmer with a lot to do. But the time it takes to sign up for the program is a great investment for your business because it lets shoppers know that your food meets higher standards, has passed assessments, and is produced by environmentally friendly farming practices. To learn about participating in the program, go to certified.ny.gov. And we're back on Eating Matters, where today we're speaking with Renska Lind from Food System 6 Accelerator about her latest role in affecting large-scale food system change. Um, okay, so Renska, before we went to break, we were talking about diversity, and I want to pick back up on that thread and hear um, how you and your organization thinks about diversity, both in terms of the entrepreneurs that you admit into the program and the type of companies that they're launching. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. And, and so what I started to say um, before was that, you know, a lot of this is based on uh, my own perspective in terms of how and where change happens in the food systems, um, as well as, you know, what I would call the standard Silicon Valley model in terms of just looking out in terms of understanding what is the landscape of innovation and, you know, allowing that to help shape and define, um, you know, how we're, how we're headed into the future. Um, in terms of the food system, just given the fact that there are so many different ways in which um, change and improvement and impact can really be seen and felt, um, both from the regional production system, so all the way throughout the supply chain to technologies that can help improve and enhance um, farmers' ability to do things, as well as consumers' ability to understand more about what's in their food. Um, you know, all the way through to actual you know, consumer products. There are so many different ways in which change and impact can be can be you know, manifested, mm-hmm. and we really wanted to make sure that we built uh, a cohort and then ultimately a portfolio over time of those different types of approaches. And so um, that that means um, at a high level that we support nonprofit organizations. So we have two nonprofits in our cohort right now um, that are working on different components of the food system. One is um, Center for Good Food Purchasing that is developing something like a lead-like certification standard for mm-hmm. procurement at large-scale public institutions like schools and um, universities. And we're also working with a nonprofit called the Equitable Food Initiative um, that works um, with the produce industry and reduces food safety risks while improving conditions for farm workers um, on the ground. So, you know, we work with nonprofits. We work with organizations like Emmer Co., which is a heritage poultry production company that's, you know, working at the very basic regional production system at this point, um, certainly has the opportunity to scale into a national company, um, but is really working on some of the on-farm practices and on, you know, bringing back uh, genetic diversity to poultry production. Um, And then we're also working with some technology companies that have the ability to influence broad-scale impact through um, the innovations that they're developing um, through the technologies that they have. So, 
Um, that just gives you a sense, I think, of you know how we believe change kind of needs to happen. Um, the really exciting thing to us is also watching the interaction between these different types of entrepreneurs um, mm-hmm. and the ability that they have to really inform and influence each other uh, in terms of just the, the, the part of the or the segment of the food system that they're that they're working within. And um, so that's been a, a really fun and exciting, um, you know, I would say potentially unanticipated side effect of of building a diverse cohort. Is there a difference between the kind of coaching and support a for-profit venture w- receives in your program versus a nonprofit venture? Yeah, it's a really good question. So primarily the work that we do with each of our teams is highly customized. And so there's, there's such a wide range of experience in entrepreneurs and what skills they bring to the table and where they need help and support. Um, so the, the bulk of the work that we do with each team is, is very, very customized and individualized to help them meet their next major milestones in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And then we do a lot of work in, in group settings um, as well. So, so that really just allows us to you know, do what needs to be done for each team we're working with. Um, that said, for nonprofit organizations, I mean, it's, it's really um, exciting for us to be able to help them with developing their financial models in a way that can, you know, help potentially ensure their long-term success and their financial resilience. Um, so it's been, you know, very, very exciting and interesting to me to be able to bring that whole um, set of uh, skills in terms of how do you think about growing a business and how sustainable can it be you know, financially mm-hmm. um, into the nonprofit sector. So that's that's been um, that's been great. And we look forward to continuing to evolve that work over time. Okay, so that's that's um, really helpful to understand because initially when I was thinking, I'm like, well, who doesn't who wants to invest in a nonprofit if the goal is not to kind of have like an ROI in the financial sense, um, you know, from the nonprofit standpoint? But it seems like you're kind of tailoring your approach and 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 providing the skills like more the business business acumen, for example, which is very needed in the nonprofit sector um, around exactly. food issues. Exactly. Um, and that very, very much speaks to my own experience also just in terms of navigating, you know, the, the nonprofit sector and, you know, the skill sets, um, you know, that they're absolutely equally as applicable if you're thinking about pitching your nonprofit to, you know, to a supporter. Yeah. The ability to get feedback on how you pitch and how you present and what are the really key pieces of your business model? And, you know, those are all things that are, are really, really important. And it's incredibly beneficial for a nonprofit to get that kind of feedback from, you know, a total for-profit investor who's yeah. just looking at, you know, looking at this as, as an opportunity for change. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, okay. So in, in many ways, the food industry um, has unique challenges, right? That other industries don't have to contend mm-hmm. with. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about, from your perspective, what some of these challenges are and how sure. this reality is taken into account by the program mentors and investors. Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I think there are some really critical differences in terms of how um, entrepreneurs are navigating the food system than in many other segments. And, you know, a a lot of that has to do with just the very practical nature of the fact that we're dealing with production cycles Mm -hmm. and living, living organisms. Yeah. um, Perishables. Incredibly different. Um, These are not widgets. Um, Even though some of the teams are working with, you know, have technologies, 
um, that are you know fantastically you know, fantastic in terms of their capabilities, they're still needing to interface with um, with longer cycles, um, so growing cycles, yeah. production cycles. So, um, you know, and then we're dealing with perishable goods. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's a there's a whole different dynamic here. Um, the other part of the complexity of the system is just how inter interrelated and connected the different segments really are, um, and how change in in one you know area really does affect and impact what's happening um, in another. So, from our perspective, it's it's really important for us to you know hold that um, complexity and what those connections are, and really use that as a means to educate and inform our teams. Um, and so we definitely do that both through the direct support that we give them and then through the mentors in our network. And, you know, I think that's, that's the value that an organization like ours can, can serve and that we hold that complexity, but we're also able to really dig deep and dive in on one specific component of, of a business and, you know, a need that they have to really think about how to build um, their revenue projections um, and, you know, making sure that we're matching that technical and that tactical skill, yeah. um, while also making sure that we're, you know, keeping the bigger picture in mind. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but it's also, you know, um, a very, uh, provides a very rich and, um, you know, interesting opportunity for us to really think about, you know, how do we do this holistically and really keep the big picture in mind while also doing very individualized and very, you know, tactical ground level support. And do you think that like your your kind of general experience thus far, do you think that investors specifically are knowledgeable enough about the the um, nuances of the food system and how this could affect their ROI, meaning like they might not see the kind of growth and scale that you would in other industries within a certain time frame, given the kind of, you know, the complexities and the, and the, and the challenges that are faced by the food system? Um, yeah, I would say, you know, I, I, by and large, there's a lot more education and awareness and, and um, ed- information sharing that needs to happen. Um, I would also just make sure that we're contextualizing and, and being really clear when we say investors, like mm-hmm. from our perspective, that, 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 that represents a really wide range of potential capital. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, we could be thinking about venture capital and what the expectations of return are there and some of the complexities um, that that might, you know, lead to in terms of the, the, uh, the right deployment for that form of capital. I think that really is... That's from our perspective, and certainly what we're learning with this first cohort. Like that's really what the where the critical need lies um, is really understanding how the different forms of capital can come to the table to mm-hmm. get their own um, objectives met. And investor could be a philanthropist, and you know somebody who's interested uh, in catalyzing some impact, yeah. um, as well as the public sector who's working to incentivize certain practices and has resources available. So. It really is, um, it's just important for us when we think about investors to really be really clear on, you know, what is the form of capital that's best and, you know, required to help advance change. Um, And we're definitely developing a perspective around the need for more collaborative capital, more um, integrated and coordinated across different types of objectives um, in the food system. In particular, is that something that's unique to food? Kind of the diversity of investors that you guys are, are seeking, or, or other um, startup industries, uh, I you know, experiencing would, I would that definitely as well? say it is not unique to food. I okay. think it is. It is um, certainly in other domains where it is 
the system is either heavily regulated, if we're talking about, for example, renewable energy, um, there's certainly a similar type of complexity and kind of a need for thinking around um, coordination across different sectors and different forms of capital. I think education um, certainly, um, you know, is another domain where this type of um, complexity and interaction um, is also required to, in terms of how we support innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not unique, certainly not unique to the food system, but, um, you know, there's some, some you know, additional challenges, of course, as we talked about. So there seems to be more kind of what I refer to as, quote, good food startups um, more now than kind of ever before. I mean, we even have a segment on the show dedicated to learning about new and exciting ones. Um, my right. question to you is, I mean, do you think that there is a saturation point? Um, and if so, like, have we kind of reached that point? Like are investors in the broad sense that you think of investors kind of um, nearing that like saturation point? Or do you think that and, and willingness to, to take a yeah. risk on a young food company? So uh, I'll start my response by saying it is still really early days in terms of private sector capital going into food and agriculture. Um, so I, I don't think we are in danger of the broad um, set of opportunities and, and, and total addressable markets. Um, we're not nearing any saturation point in terms of the big picture. That said, um, I I. I, I do expect and anticipate a certain um, amount. I do think we are there with some of the last mile work. Um, so I think that is, I would say that is an area that is um, a danger of being saturated at this point. Um, and but how that do is you... also the area where most of the initial capital has been directed. So that's also not necessarily surprising to me yeah. um, that that's the case. So, no, I mean, I, I, the total addressable markets, and particularly when you think about the fact that um, the large, what we call Food System 5 players are, are so, you know, they're, they're still so large um, and there's still such an opportunity for disruption um, and innovation within that. Um, and the fact that agriculture still remains, you know, the, the least digitized yeah. segment um, globally, I, I definitely do not think that we're um, in danger of overall saturation. But again, I think the, the last mile is probably... Um, close to there and not there yet by last mile do you mean these kind of like delivery these quote tech (laughs) food tech companies that are focusing on delivery um mechanisms so like for instance maybe what could you give us some examples of what of what some of those um companies are yeah so i would put in that category any of the prepared food delivery services um, like Blue Apron or you know, Fun Basket or any of those. I would also put um, any of the restaurant aggregators, i.e. DoorDash, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there's about a million in New York yeah, <laughs> that I'm not there familiar are. with. Yeah. Um, so I would put those in that category. So it's any of the any of the efforts that are really attempting to sort of tackle um, the, the the challenge of what we call the last mile, which is from, you know, getting to actually into consumers' homes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, so that that is, you know, explicitly an area that we are not engaged in right now, um, yeah. primarily because we felt like that was an area that was well sort of covered by the market and also just from an impact standpoint and potential. I mean, we were, we're much more interested in broad-scale transformative impact and while we think that healthy services are, you know, important for a specific subset of um, the American population, they're not necessarily transformative from any type of global standpoint or in terms yeah. of increasing any, any access 
Bigger fish to fry. (laughs) More fish to fry. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. All right. Well, um, I understand you've got some upcoming events. Uh, Can you tell us what some of those are and where listeners can go to kind of get involved in and support the work that you and your and the cohort is are doing. Right. Thank you. Um, well, so our website is foodsystem6.org, so we absolutely welcome visitors. Um, and in terms of engagement, we would love to have your listeners send us ideas for startups that based on what they heard in this broadcast might be a good fit for us. Yeah. It would be interesting and important for us to know about. Um, we are always building our mentor uh, database and directory, and so, you know, always looking to understand um, who's out there that has a specific skill set that, you know, we are in a position to bring to bear on our team moving forward. Um, we will begin the recruitment and application process for our second cohort. Um, we're, we're in constant um, intake mode, though. Anybody can apply at any time. Um, but our next cohort will run from August to December, so just something to think about in terms of both participation um, as a startup or um, as a mentor. Mm-hmm. And we will be hosting a large event here in San Francisco on February 9th at the Academy of Sciences, and we will be showcasing our teams and doing our part to help inform and educate the broader investor community about uh, the opportunities that we see to uh, to have a transformative impact in the system. So we're, we're excited about that today, and information is also on our website about that. All right. Well, um, with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. But I want to thank you so very much, Renska, for coming on the show and ta- uh, telling us both about your personal experiences in the food, working to affect change in the food system and this new, very exciting venture that is the Food System 6 Accelerator. Thank you, Jenna. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was great to chat. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, All right. Take um, care. Thanks. You too. Um, also want to give a big thanks to our sponsors for your uh, generous support. Um, our show is produced with the help from Taylor Lanzette, and our show music is by Tim Archer. Thank you, of course, to our engineer, David Tedashore. All episodes of Eating Matters are available on the Heritage Radio Network website or as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Like, share, follow, and post to us on Facebook and find us on Twitter at Eat Matters HRN. I'm Jenna Liute, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.